I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travers and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. You know, today we often hear stories from college campuses across the country where the whims and ideals of hyper-liberal professors overtake the classroom. This usually stifles any conversation or alternative viewpoints. But more and more, we're starting to see political ideology creeping into what our youngest kids learn in K-12 classrooms. And we have to wonder why that is and what's driving it. The National Opportunity Project recently released a report uncovering how school districts across the country are looking to fulfill diversity metrics by focusing on their hiring practices. They're trying to hire on an ideological litmus test versus skills and qualifications necessary for the job. I mean, think about that. These are your kids, and they're trying to fulfill their diversity requirement rather than look to see whether or not they're going to teach your children well. At a time when our kids are already struggling to catch up, we need them to be surrounded by the best and most qualified teachers, not simply those who pass a political litmus test. In fact, it should really never be someone who passes a political litmus test. Sharice Trump is the executive director of Speech First and has been working to address these issues directly with students and schools. Before I bring Sharice in, let me first tell you about a great product that I have in my home, and I really think you would want to hear about this. When you think about the air quality in your home, ask yourself, if all air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships? We use it in my home because one of my girls suffers from severe seasonal allergies, and I am not kidding you when I say it has changed her life. She has no more headaches, no more swollen eyes, and a big one for us is no more bloody noses. EnviroCleanse uses patented earth mineral technology and a hospital-grade HEPA filter. This technology is so powerful, it destroys cold and flu viruses, COVID, allergy-inflaming toxins, mold, and even more. Their hospital-grade technology is so powerful, like I said, it's used on Navy ships and in thousands of classrooms. The EnviroCleanse promise is far fewer colds, allergies, and better sleep. 
you will receive a free air quality monitor with your purchase. Honestly, test the difference in your home. Visit ekpure.com, use code Dixon for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home air purification unit and free air quality monitor, plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings. That's ekpure.com, code Dixon, ekpure.com, code Dixon. Let's bring in Sharice Trump, the executive director of Speech First. And just to set the record straight, she has no relation to Donald Trump. And Sharice, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Tudor. Absolutely. So I have to say that I knew Speech First as a organization that focused on colleges, but you're looking at K through 12, so that's very interesting to me. Speech First, we work primarily on colleges, but this recent report has, you know, got my feathers very ruffled <laughs> because even though it is, uh, it is a K through 12 focused report, uh, and it focuses on what the hiring practices are in K through 12 in public school districts when it comes to interview panels and the type of standards that they have when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, putting various folks from you know, the LGBTQ plus community on these hiring panels um, and putting minorities on these hiring panels who are towing that political line on the left to act as political litmus testers, essentially, for those who are there hiring in K through 12. Uh, and that's concerning to me because, in my, you know, first of all, education is the front line for all of this culture war stuff that we're seeing. And, you know, when we look around and, you know, of course, K through 12 is pretty straightforward. The, the level of indoctrination that is a, they're attempting to uh, accomplish there it should be astounding to all of us, especially when, as you mentioned, they're not prioritizing other things. We are in a continual decline on proficiencies when it comes to reading, writing, and arithmetic. And we have a huge percentage of students, which should be an abhorrently large percentage of students. I believe it's 40% in four-year universities and 60% for community colleges having to take remedial classes before they can even start taking normal classes in college uh, because they just can't meet that standard for college education. Um, so we have all of this that, that you know, what, that instead, though, they're prioritizing <laughs> DEI and, you know, talking about anti-racism, white privilege and, and uh, these various ideas of microaggressions, social justice, climate change. Those instead are becoming the big priorities for K through 12. And because I operate primarily on college campuses with with higher ed, looking at like free speech rights of students. What we're talking about there is this is where it all starts. You know, this is where they're educating educators is in is in is in college. And so you start to see this Marxist ideology really promulgated on college campuses. And then you wonder how it's seeping into K through 12. And this is really where it's happening. Well, but what this tells me is that when you see something that you want to have happen in K through 12, you can make it happen because this is obviously something they're saying, we want this to be in our K through 12 schools and we are going to search away. We're going to search it down until we find it and we include it in these schools. So the alternative viewpoint of that is, well, if they were to say, man, we have got to figure out a way to get kids to actually read and comprehend what they're reading, that could be done, but the focus is not there. How scary is it to think that we have, I, I look at Michigan, we have schools in Flint, we have schools in Benton Harbor, we have schools in Muskegon, we have schools in Detroit that have a 5% reading and math proficiency. And they are looking to include diversity, equity, and inclusion over making sure these kids know how to read and do math. And this is what's even more interesting. I mean, that is an inc that when you take that percent, 
that 5%, there's definitely more than 5% of those students graduating, being graduated from high school. The goal there is even more nefarious because you're like, why are we graduating students who cannot read and write? And this is a, a serious question because now we're not only, we're not only graduating them, we're accepting them into college. We're, we're indebting them to the federal student loan crisis by saying that now you can pay tens of thousands of dollars to take remedial classes. Why is there an entire apparatus? And I call this whole thing a racket. Like to me, it just seems super corrupt. Why is there an entire apparatus designed around indebting students and indoctrinating them, making sure they're not properly educated so that they are moldable to whatever political agenda is being pushed on them? It goes even deeper than that. You have, you can, you can relate so much back to what happens in K through 12, because if I have that kind of reading proficiency rate, then I can, I can look at what the kids are, the reading proficiency rate is of third graders today and say, this is how much crime we'll have in this area by the time these kids graduate. That There is a direct correlation between the ability to read and the amount of crime we will see. And this is something that we hear politicians talking about every day. They, oh, the crime is so bad. We've got these issues where people are raiding stores. But we are promoting this by not teaching kids to read. And everyone knows that this link exists. And yet they are still focused on that. Who is who is behind this? And how can we go to these groups? And uh, I don't know if it's shut them down or adjust the way they're thinking, but this is we are robbing our kids of a future. Quickly, on your point of the direct correlation to crime rates and, and the percentages of students who cannot read, write, or do math and who are, you know, kind of ending up being like just thrown into society, expected to operate and function properly without any of the proper support or knowledge and how, how it all operates. I think just real quickly on that point, um, it's, it's also the factor that we're, we're setting them up for failure and telling them that they have graduated and that they've been accepted into these schools. So you're putting that all on a pedestal. And if now there's this kind of emotional and psychological game where if they can't even match the level of their peers in college, and they have to drop out or take remedial courses, that makes them incredibly resentful of the entire system. And if they have to drop out and are now indebted for the classes that they took and can't get a job because they don't actually have a degree and they kind of spend all this time on trying to accomplish that, what, what are they going to do now in society? You know, what, what's their place now? There's really nothing to capture them after that. Are they resentful of the system? Or are they resentful of the boogeyman government that they they say well this this boogeyman is holding me back they do they really realize that there were people that that robbed them of something in their lives or is this where we have this main divide in the country where there's there is one group that says hey i I deserved something better, but they don't really understand the people behind this. I mean, I think that's, we're, we're not explaining to people that there are truly people who understand you are being robbed and continue to, to allow this to happen. There's definitely no real recognition there at a mass level. And it's because, you know, the, the narrative is controlled still by the far left political activists on these campuses. 
Um, and in, you know, when it, it, we're talking not just media, but we're, you know, if you're looking at political leaders, they're not going to sit there and take the blame for um, setting their entire an entire generation of their constituents up for failure, because instead their priority is going to be graduation numbers. This is what happens when you reduce people down to numbers. You just see you're like, how many students can we get graduated? How many students can we get into college? How many minorities can we get graduated? How many can we get into college? But they're not saying, OK, we graduate them. But are they actually educated? You know, is that like, are the, do they actually have test levels? You know, when you're going around saying that standardized testing is racist and it's, it works against the black community, how on earth do you gauge whether or not these students actually um, are knowledgeable enough to graduate high school? And so you have, you have all these, no one's going to really walk this back because they don't want to take the blame. And so, yeah, you're right. They, they really don't know who to blame for this. They've been set up for failure. Now there's this resentment. And there's a, there's, there's a situation where they're being told the reason. So you feel instead of, instead of them blaming the people who actually need to be held accountable for this, there's, you're now filling that gap in with, oh, you should be resentful towards like the white privileged groups in society because that's who's holding you back. The, the fact that you can't do well in college is because it's systemically racist. The fact that you can't do well in society is, and that you have resorted to a life of crime is because we, that society has pushed you down that path because it is systemically racist. And that is what they're replacing the narrative with, um, which is incredibly damaging. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Where do these hiring practices come from? Is this a school board policy? Is this coming from, this is school board. Yeah, when you talk about like who's who's to blame and who we should be pointing fingers at, yeah, absolutely. So these are the district, this is district level from from what I can tell, this report looked at the district hiring practices for schools. Um, 70, I believe the report looked at 70 districts across the country that when it came out. Um, but we should also be looking very closely at the colleges because when you're looking at the education departments, you know, who's, they're, they're educating the future educators. And most of what they're teaching in these departments is critical race theory, Marxist ideology, um, basically how to properly indoctrinate and brainwash students. And it, it's very far left. You know, you talk to, to college students who are in these programs they're not going to push back because they're surrounded by a bunch of people who are essentially on the far left and trying to persuade everyone of this agenda. Um, so there, it's kind of this vicious cycle. You're going to keep graduating people who are uh, graduating people who are going to be susceptible to that way of thinking because they've been kind of indoctrinated for the last 12 years. And then as they go through this college system, they can't speak up. It's a totalitarian system, essentially, where they try to control everyone's way of life by, you know, what private conversations you're having all the way to what you talk about in class or on social media. And they're, these students are essentially just going to toe the line and then they're going to graduate and become educators. Well, we talked about some of the school systems that are hurting the most in Michigan, but it, you also talk about segregated classes, and one of them is in Evanston, Illinois. It's one of the richest suburbs of Chicago there is, and they're still segregating kids. Obviously, this isn't an issue of whether or not these parents are going to fight. These are parents that are going to be involved. Parents obviously know this is happening. I believe, I would have to believe that in a school system like Evanston, you've got parents that are pretty involved in the conversations are the parents also at the point where they're like, oh, yeah, we've been convinced this is the way it has to go? And if that's the case, then are, how do you other parents who go, oh, man, this doesn't look right. How do they stand up when people in general are kind of like, hey, I don't want to I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to look like the bad guy. So I'm very encouraged by the recent activity on the parent front. And that obviously came out of COVID where parents were exposed to a lot of what was happening um, with their kids in school. Um, but there's still a large percentage of parents that are apathetic. Look, they're busy. They've got a lot going on. Most, ha- most households, both parents are working full time. Some are working multiple jobs. So they're, they kind of really lean. And this is a bad habit that started a long time ago. And we really need to break ourselves of it. And I'm hoping that all of this parental rights movement um, organizations are pushing you know, parents into the right direction. But we really need to break this habit of relying on the public school system to raise our kids. Uh, because that's essentially what, you know, we're really, we're leaning on them to teach them everything. Uh, and really they should be just leaning on them to teach them the basics and everything else should be taught at home. Um, but when you're not home and when no one's around and everyone's working multiple jobs, and this comes back to economic struggles and, and whatnot, um, then, then it's, there is 
there is some kind of discouraging, you know, uh, you know, parents feel discouraged, like, what can I do in these situations? So there, I think school choice is a big part of this solution. Um, push, uh, giving parents that opportunity to, uh, to pay closer attention and to be more selective about what public schools uh, they send their kids to, uh, that will just automatically change the mindset of parents and how they think about schools when they know that they have options. Um, by just, and this is why they, they want to go, the left wants to go against school choice, because they know that the second parents know they have options, they're going to start becoming much more critical of what's being taught in the classroom. Let me push back a little bit on something you said, because I think it's something that we, I would say our side tends to say, and I think it really deters people because I feel like, you know, I, I was probably in the category of someone who would say, well, you were letting the public school raise your kids because I had a lot of trust for the public school system. And I sent my kids to public school. We live in a small town. The teachers are, you know, openly, in many cases, openly Christian. And I felt like my kids are going to be safe there. And so the, the, Things that I expected from school, which were reading, learning to read, learning to to do math, learning history, all of those things, I just felt like I was safe putting that in their hands because I felt like that's the responsibility of school. I pay my taxes. I'm a I'm a citizen of this city, and these people, we all want our community to do well. So my kids are safe there, and I'm safe taking them there and having them there seven or eight hours a day to learn these things. And then I, and it really, really wasn't until my last two were in there that my, one of my twins started to really struggle with reading. And it was, the school was really lost because once, once you had a kid that had a little bit of an issue, there wasn't, a, there weren't a lot of resources for them to figure that out. And that's when, you know, then COVID hit, we moved our kids to a private school The whole education experience was completely different. And I have a lot of guilt looking back and going, why didn't I open my eyes to this and see? And I don't think, I don't know that I really would have had I not seen the alternative. And if you don't move your kids, you don't see the alternative. And I think sometimes when we say, you know, too many parents are letting the public school raise their kids, it's an immediate turnoff to those parents. Like, you know, hey, wait a minute, don't tell me I'm screwing up my child. But I think there are ways to talk about this. And hey, you don't, you maybe don't know that they're hiding a lot of things from you. Or maybe the school is just not even, they're, they're not even aware of how to get these lessons across to kids. And that's why it's so important to be involved in the school board. I mean, I remember going to one of our PTO meetings and they said, you've got to pay more if you want to have the same curriculum as the school right down the street that's in our same district. And I said, what are you talking about? That we would have to pay out of pocket. They said, we have to pay the PTA and then we'll get this curriculum that the school down the street has because you guys are in a poorer district. And I said, well, that makes no sense. That's, and it's not even legal. You can't tell me that another school in my same district is getting different curriculum. The curriculum is supposed to be paid for by taxes. But these are the things that you don't know unless you are involved. And you're right, with a two-parent working household, it is really hard for parents to be involved. Right, absolutely, and I think you're you're very you're very right in pointing out the rhetoric and then kind of the narrative that the right creates around 
um, school choice and, and public school system. I mean, I was raised uh, in a single parent household and I was, you know, my mom was working like two or three jobs and I was in the public school system. And really it was kind of up to me <laughs> uh, how well I did. It was, you know, the onus was all on me. There wasn't a lot of oversight from home or from the school I was at. The school I was at wasn't even nationally ranked. Um, it was not doing well on test standards. And so that was really kind of, again, like I said, up to me. Um, but that, and so those situations are, are very uh, unfortunate. Um, but I would say, you know, the biggest issue is you mentioned, one thing that you, you mentioned was the word safe. You know, as a taxpayer, look, you, like you said, we expect something in exchange for the taxes that we're paying, something in quality, uh, you know, that in exchange for what we're paying. Um, and a lot of parents and, you know, a lot of folks, we, we should feel safe sending our kids to school. Um, but what the reality is, and when I, when I go to camp, college campuses and lecture students on this, um, it's important when I talk to them about the importance of debate and skepticism, the reality is, is, is that our country was founded, the United States was founded on this an incredibly high level of skepticism of the government. Yeah, of the government. And so we really, we've kind of lost that skepticism with welfare programs and all of these public, um, you know, all of these public programs that have been provided to us. And in a, so in a way, we've, we really should be very skeptical in all scenarios when the government says, hey, you know, not just let us have, have your kids for eight hours, but also just generally when they try to run programs, uh, because it's, it's not, we, we, we convince ourselves that now they have our best interests at heart, but our entire constitution and everything was, was kind of written and founded on the idea that actually they don't. In fact, the restrictions should be on the government because we don't trust them to have our best interests at heart. We are the only ones who can determine what our interests are. And uh, that, I think we, we have lost that. And I think it's because we don't debate these issues anymore at the collegiate level or in the academy. We just kind of assume everything's going to be this way forever. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Laura, speaking of feeling safe, this one just totally blows my mind. We've got this new bill in California that says if you have a child that has two-parent custody, you're in a situation where the parents are divorced or whatever, and one parent has half the custody, the other has the other half custody, and one parent is affirming the child's gender. And I, I can't even stand that terminology because it just makes me so crazy to think that a a kid i mean then we're talking about any age you'd be four years old and the parents like yeah the child has decided to be the a different gender and if that parent goes to the court and says my child's father or mother does not affirm the child's gender that parent can now in california lose custody this could be a situation where the school gets involved and says hey we have a situation where this kid is going home to one parent and the parent is not affirming the gender the child has chosen and instead of the parent being able to make a decision about their child's health the courts can now say, you don't get to see your child anymore. So this is actually really terrifying. And we have seen this uh, type of policy exist now for years in countries like Canada, uh, where they have been actively removing children from households and, you know, in divorce scenarios, one of the parents doesn't get custody because of the lack of affirmation of someone's gender identity. And uh, I mean, look, they already don't even have free speech rights there. They, they say that they do, but we know that people get put in jail and get fined for not using someone's preferred pronoun because Canada considers it a human rights crisis and so or a human rights violation in those situations. But I think it's when we look at California and some of these states that are experimenting with these types of policies, we have to ask ourselves, why are they experimenting with them? They're trying to see how much they can get away with. And they notoriously do this. They'll... Um, the left will put out recommendations and policy recommendations of very far left, very overreaching policies. And the right will rise up and say, no, 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 you cannot do that. That is so unconstitutional. It's so unfathomable for this country. But what the left accomplishes in that situation is that they're going to move the Overton window and they're going to slightly get the conservative movement to kind of capitulate on something within that, talking about gender identity, talking about what parents should get um, control of the, the, the child, which, what custody of the child. Um, they're going to get something out of this. So I think it's, it's you know, very important to us that we actually um, pay very close attention to what comes out of this. Even if Newsom doesn't sign the bill into law, what does it mean now that the idea has been proposed? Uh, but of course, this whole idea of tearing children away from parents in order to control and manipulate them, this is something we have seen historically uh, throughout the world, what totalitarian regimes do in order to gain control over the populace. 
Uh, they turn children against parents. And so we should be very, very suspicious, again, of what path this is going to take us down. I mean, what path does it take us down? Because I I think we all remember the story of, I believe it was out of Texas, a little boy named James, whose mother said James was a girl. James was a twin. And the mother said that he was a girl. The father would videotape the boy saying, I don't want to be a girl. I want to be a boy. I want to be James. I mean, this whole scenario is there's a real sickness going on when you have a little ch- a child in a family who is torn between two parents and the the courts ultimately sided with mom he was forced to go through a gender transition and take these sterilization um hormones and all of these things that will ultimately a boy who is eight or nine years old does he understand that he will never have an intimate relationship he will never have children no of course not you don't understand that when you're that age and dad is standing up and saying there's something wrong here this is not normal and dad loses rights i mean when you say like this is something that newsom may or may not sign into law it's already happening in communities on a local base, on a local level that we haven't been able to control. And parents feel like, how is this happening in the United States of America where my kid is being taken from me and changed? I mean, it's not reversible. It's so shocking. Yeah, it's appalling. And you're right, this is already happening uh, because you have judges who are basically just determining these things upon themselves. What will happen in California is it'll actually be signed into law and all judges will be required, you know, by the law. You know, obviously that's not assuming that there's going to be a bunch of forthcoming lawsuits against the law itself, which which we already know and anticipate um, challenges. But yeah, you do have a lot of judges kind of going off and just deciding these things in Texas of all places, right? Texas, you would not expect this type of thing to be occurring, but that, and that was a very early case. That was uh, just like a a couple of years ago, even, you know, it was pretty early on in this discussion with, with what um, parental rights there are with when it comes to kids who um, are being, you know, brainwashed into transitioning. I I think, uh, to be honest, I think you make a really good point there though, because that did happen in Texas. And I think sometimes when we talk about, well, this bill is in California, people go, ah, you know, whatever, it's California, they're crazy. It's not going to happen in my town, but it could happen in your town. And what you're saying is key. There are activist judges across the country that you don't know. You don't know until you're in that situation where you're suddenly in front of that judge and that judge has control over your life and it is shocking. And that's why when parents are saying, you know, I mean, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be too involved. We're not saying you have to be out there picketing outside of school with, with signs, but every time you see something that isn't right, if you speak up, just speaking up, people are less likely to continue to go forward with it. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I always talk to students about how courage is contagious. If everyone just stays silent, that's how they win. You have to, if you just need one person to speak up and then everyone in that room will realize that they kind of all think the same way. And, you know, you're going to get followers. People are going to realize, wait, I can speak up too. And that's so important is that even just making a comment may, may not seem like a big deal or may not seem like you're making a huge impact. But if people see you standing up, it's going to lead to a movement. And that is, it may not be you as a leader, but you speaking up does make a difference. Um, And so I think that's really important for parents to recognize. Um, But yeah, you're you're not safe anywhere in the country at the end of the day when it, you know, a lot of the schools we've sued who actively violate students' free speech rights, 
are in red states. We just won against a Texas University of Houston last year. We're suing Texas State University now. We're suing Oklahoma State University. That's in a deep red state. And we, we just won against University of Central Florida last year. And so that's, I mean, it's not really, you're not really safe because a lot of these, there are little pockets, like you said, of activist judges in certain districts, but also in, in the academy, these campuses are very, like they're hot spots for far left Marxist ideology. Well, how do you spread it unless you go to the place where it isn't? You know, that's, and that's what I think people have to understand that the only way you can t- continue to spread Marxism or communism or just this radical ideology is to go places where it isn't and start to sprinkle it in. And, and the way they do it is not hey, if you don't do this, you're wrong, you're a bad person. The way they do it is if you if you do this, you're loving, you're welcoming. This is the way society should be. And I think that's something that on our side of the aisle has been, we've done it the wrong way from the standpoint of people think that if they come to right of center, then they have to condemn people and say, you have to live the way we live or you're a bad person. Whereas if you live, if you live a lifestyle that is right of center, you're probably going to have a pretty happy life, but we don't tell people that. It's like you said, they have to, people have to pay close attention to this because it will sneak up on you. And uh, if, if you're not paying attention, if you're not speaking out about it, it, it can, you'll find yourself it's likely these days you could find yourself in a situation where you are in front of a judge who's going to rule against you in a situation that just seems completely crazy and unreal, like something out of a dream. And, you know, these parents who've gone through this stuff definitely kind of feel that way. Well, I think as we've seen some of these people that have been political activists on our side get these massive sentences that just seem that they're a little out of sync with what they they've done i mean i think that's just the beginning and i think that as much as people might say well that's not me you don't know what will be you i think that's your point you never know when they're gonna call you ahead of in front of a judge and say hey guess what you had wrong think what's that right and we're seeing evidence now that this this leftism this marxist ideology is trying to infiltrate law schools they are trying to infiltrate, you know, the judicial system, trying to manipulate it. Uh, this, what you just mentioned, goes back to an earlier question I didn't get a chance to answer because I was <laughs> I went off on one of my tangents per usual. Um, but I actually, uh, you know, you asked, what's the goal here? What's the ultimate goal, right? And it's it's to cons- it's so for they want to consolidate power. This is, and the when you look at totalitarian regimes and how they operate, they can't just have power of the government. They have to have power because it, because for them, it's a zero-sum game. If you're pushing back at any level, it's power that they don't have if you're not relinquishing somewhere. So they have to have con- complete and utter control over your life. And it's not just in order to maintain that power. And that's how they kind of view this. That's how Marxism views the world. They cannot... Op, they can op- operate in a world, if you, if you can look at the communist regimes and see clear examples of this. They, they can't have that power if you're over here, you know, going on the school board or, or shouting at the school board about um, the types of books that are in your, you know, in front of your students that exhibit pornography. They can't have that power if you have people pushing back. So by getting into the judiciary, by getting into the politics, trying to infiltrate everything as much as pol- possible in order to uh, control the way of thinking. You know, this is where the academy comes in once again, trying to control the way people think in education. Uh, it's it's it, that's what ultimately the goal is here. That's why separating kids from parents is so vi- such a vital part of their plan. 
Uh, and whether you have, look, we don't have to go into conspiracy theories. I can say that literally everyone is in on this. It's, it's that you have a lot of folks who genuinely believe in this types of social justice rhetoric, the climate change rhetoric, a lot of the, the far left rhetoric that exists. They really do believe that this country is racist, systemically racist. Um, but you have, there are people at the top who are pulling a lot of these strings like George Soros, who are like pushing for um, prosecutors who won't, uh, uh, who won't prosecute criminals, uh, you know, to win elections. Um, but you, I think it's just important to recognize that all of this is feeding into a common goal, which is the consolidation of power. And it's, even if we are all going to give each other the benefit of the doubt and say, obviously not everyone's kind of bought into that, that aspect, they're still doing the bidding. They're still trying to indoctrinate your kids. They're still trying to get your, um, get parents to uh, lose custody in order to manipulate the minds of younger generations to, like you were saying earlier, when you get these when you when you get these rulings out of the judiciary that are just so, so extreme against people for having wrong think, for participating in things that um, that the left doesn't agree with, then it's what else could you interpret it as, as if not a warning, if not as like, We've been very spoiled up until this point. I mean, we really hadn't ever seen this. It was kind of, you know, the the two parties in government were not so different that people could just still say, okay, well, I'm on this side, I'm on that side. I can accept that there's another side. Things have really changed in the past six or seven years. And and I would say things started changing when Obama became president and there started to be a real divide because he started to go after the police. He started to, to essentially say there's a different side and they're against you. And that just that really started to spread, I believe, at that point. And I, I think the other side would blame Trump. But I got to say, if we go a little bit farther back, we would see where this began and where these organizations started to pop up. And I just think that Things in in our lives have changed to a point where we can't be as spoiled. We can't be as as laid back about the country as we were. And people just need to get involved and make sure that we preserve the American values that we've always had. Where where can people find more information about Speech First and what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So speechfirst.org is our website. You can go on there. Um, we also, you know, we have a podcast, Well Said. You can kind of queue up to date with the folks that I interview um, in higher ed and kind of who are working in that space of free speech. Uh, but additionally, you know, you can find us on Twitter, social media, Speech First. You can find me, Sharice Trump. Uh, it's, you know, just type in my name on Twitter and you can, you can find my account. Um, but if you want to sign up for our emails, you can go on our website and sign up to either become a member or just to receive regular emails for our updates. You can also press donate. Uh, you know, we, we do sue a lot of universities that violate students' free speech rights. And litigation is something that is very costly, but very, very effective. So, you know, that's something that I always encourage if you can support where, wherever you can, that that's very helpful for us getting the word out. And, you know, it's been great being on here with you, Tudor. I think there's, we talked so much about things that could easily be teased out into their own podcasts, <laughs> so into their own episodes. Uh, but it's great. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think something you just said is incredibly key because uh, oftentimes people go, well, gosh, I don't want to get involved. I don't know how to get involved. And if you don't want to publicly put your face to something like this, then and go out there and, and talk and fight yourself. These lawsuits are so important because they are protecting what we have always known as our country. And, and this is at the university level. And I always say to people, 
you have a lot of control over K through 12, even though we see this stuff going on in K through 12, we as parents still have that ability to have kids come home, talk about your day. I mean, we had somebody on here one day that said that we are now seeing that parents are having less than 15 minutes of meaningful conversation a week with their kids. Don't let that happen. Come home every day, talk about what happened at school, ask about the teachers, ask those things. But K through 12, you still have a lot of influence to have your family values there. When your kids go to college, that's when you're not there every day. You're not having those meaningful conversations because you just... the you just can't, you're just not there. And so that's when a company or an organization like Speech First is so important. So if you can make that donation, just know that that's going to protect our future, to protect our children, to protect your children and grandchildren and the future of this country. So Sharice, thank you so much for being on today and thank you for sharing what you guys do. Absolutely, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, and thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon Podcast for this episode and others. Go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have a blessed day. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.